Long, Broad, and Quick Eye, from the Gray Fairy Book, edited by Andrew Lang. Once upon a time there lived a king who had an only son whom he loved dearly. Now one day the king sent for his son and said to him, My dearest child, my hair is gray and I am old, and soon I shall feel no more warmth of the sun or look upon the trees and flowers. But before I die, I should like to see you with a good wife. Therefore marry my son as speedily as possible. My father, replied the prince, now and always I ask nothing better than to do your bidding, but I know of no daughter-in-law that I could give you. On hearing these words, the old king drew from his pocket a key of gold and gave it to his son, saying, Go up the staircase right up to the top of the tower, look carefully round you, and then come and tell me which you like best of all that you see. So the young man went up. He had never before been in the tower and had no idea what it might contain. The staircase wound round and round and round till the prince was almost giddy, and every now and then he caught sight of a large room that opened out from the side. But he had been told to go to the top, and to the top he went. Then he found himself in a hall, which had an iron door at one end. This door he unlocked with his golden key, and he passed through into a vast chamber which had a roof of blue sprinkled with golden stars and a carpet of green silk soft as turf. Twelve windows framed in gold let in the light of the sun, and on every window was painted the figure of a young girl, each more beautiful than the last." While the prince gazed at them in surprise, not knowing which he liked best, the girls began to lift their eyes and smile at him. He waited, expecting them to speak, but no sound came. Suddenly he noticed that one of the windows was covered by a curtain of white silk. He lifted it and saw before him the image of a maiden beautiful as the day and sad as the tomb, clothed in a white robe, having a girdle of silver and a crown of pearls. The prince stood and gazed at her, as if he had been turned into stone, but as he looked the sadness which was on her face seemed to pass into his heart, and he cried out, "'This one shall be my wife, this one and no other.' As he said the words, the young girl blushed and hung her head, and all the other figures vanished. The young prince went quickly back to his father and told him all he had seen and which wife he had chosen. The old man listened to him full of sorrow, and then he spoke. "'You have done ill, my son, to search out that which was hidden, and you are running to meet a great danger.' This young girl has fallen into the power of a wicked sorcerer who lives in an iron castle. Many young men have tried to deliver her, and none have ever come back. But what is done is done. You have given your word, and it cannot be broken. Go, dare your fate, and return to me safe and sound. So the prince embraced his father, mounted his horse, and set forth to seek his bride. He rode on gaily for several hours, till he found himself in a wood where he had never been before, and soon lost his way among its winding paths and deep valleys. He tried in vain to see where he was. The thick trees shut out the sun, and he could not tell which was north and which was south, so that he might know what direction to make for. 
He felt in despair and had quite given up all hope of getting out of this horrible place when he heard a voice calling to him. Hey, hey, stop a minute. The prince turned round and saw behind him a very tall man running as fast as his legs would carry him. Wait for me, he panted, and take me into your service. If you do, you will never be sorry. Who are you? asked the prince, and what can you do? Long is my name, and I can lengthen my body at will. Do you see that nest up there on the top of that pine tree? Well, I can get it for you without taking the trouble of climbing the tree. And Long stretched himself up and up and up, till he was very soon as tall as the pine itself. He put the nest in his pocket, and before you could wink your eyelid, he had made himself small again and stood before the prince. Yes, you know your business, said he. "'But birds' nests are no use to me. "'I am too old for them. "'Now, if you were only able to get me out of this wood, "'you would indeed be good for something.' "'Oh, there's no difficulty about that,' replied Long, "'and he stretched himself up and up and up "'till he was three times as tall as the tallest tree in the forest. "'Then he looked all round and said, "'We must go in this direction in order to get out of the wood.' and shortening himself again, he took the prince's horse by the bridle and led him along. Very soon they got clear of the forest, and saw before them a wide plain ending in a pile of high rocks, covered here and there with trees, and very much like the fortifications of a town. As they left the wood behind, Long turned to the prince and said, "'My lord, here comes my comrade. You should take him into your service too, as you will find him a great help.' "'Well, call him, then, so that I can see what sort of a man he is.' "'He is a little too far off for that,' replied Long. "'He would hardly hear my voice, and he couldn't be here for some time yet, "'as he has so much to carry. "'I think I had better go and bring him myself.' "'And this time he stretched himself to such a height "'that his head was lost in the clouds. "'He made two or three strides, took his friend on his back, "'and set him down before the prince.' The newcomer was a very fat man, and as round as a barrel. "'Who are you?' asked the prince, "'and what can you do?' "'Your worship, broad is my name, and I can make myself as wide as I please. "'Let me see how you manage it.' "'Run, my lord, as fast as you can, and hide yourself in the wood,' cried Broad, and he began to swell himself out. The prince did not understand why he should run to the wood, but when he saw Long flying towards it, he thought he had better follow his example. He was only just in time, for Broad had so suddenly inflated himself that he very nearly knocked over the prince and his horse too. He covered all the space for acres round. You would have thought he was a mountain. At length, Broad ceased to expand, drew a deep breath that made the whole forest tremble, and shrank into his usual size. "'You have made me run away,' said the prince. "'But it is not every day one meets with a man of your sort. I will take you into my service.' So the three companions continued their journey, and when they were drawing near the rocks, they met a man whose eyes were covered by a bandage." "'Your Excellency,' said Long, "'this is our third comrade. "'You will do well to take him into your service, "'and I assure you, you will find him worth his salt.' "'Who are you?' asked the prince, "'and why are your eyes bandaged? "'You can never see your way.' 
It is just the contrary, my lord. It is because I see only too well that I am forced to bandage my eyes. Even so, I see as well as people who have no bandage. When I take it off, my eyes pierce through everything. Everything I look at catches fire, or if it cannot catch fire, it falls into a thousand pieces. They call me Quick Eye. And so saying, he took off his bandage and turned towards the rock. As he fixed his eyes upon it, a crack was heard, and in a few moments it was nothing but a heap of sand. In the sand something might be detected glittering brightly. Quick-Eye picked it up and brought it to the prince. It turned out to be a lump of pure gold. "'You are a wonderful creature,' said the prince, "'and I should be a fool not to take you into my service. "'But since your eyes are so good, "'tell me if I am very far from the Iron Castle "'and what is happening there just now.' "'If you were traveling alone,' replied Quick-Eye, "'it would take you at least a year to get to it. "'But as we are with you, "'we shall arrive there tonight. "'Just now they are preparing supper.' "'There is a princess in the castle. "'Do you see her?' A wizard keeps her in a high tower guarded by iron bars. Ah, help me to deliver her, cried the prince, and they promised they would. Then they all set out through the gray rocks by the breach made by the eyes of Quick-Eye and passed over great mountains and through deep woods, and every time they met with any obstacle, the three friends contrived somehow to put it aside. As the sun was setting, the prince beheld the towers of the iron castle, and before it sank beneath the horizon, he was crossing the iron bridge which led to the gates. He was only just in time, for no sooner had the sun disappeared altogether than the bridge drew itself up and the gates shut themselves. There was no turning back now. The prince put up his horse in the stable, where everything looked as if a guest was expected, and then the whole party marched straight up to the castle. In the court, in the stables, and all over the great halls, they saw a number of men richly dressed, but every one turned into stone. They crossed an endless set of rooms, all opening into each other, till they reached the dining hall. It was brilliantly lighted, the table was covered with wine and fruit, and was laid for four. They waited a few minutes, expecting someone to come, but as nobody did, they sat down and began to eat and drink, for they were very hungry. When they had done their supper, they looked about for some place to sleep. But suddenly the door burst open, and the wizard entered the hall. He was old and humpbacked, with a bald head and a gray beard that fell to his knees. He wore a black robe, and instead of a belt, three iron circlets clasped his waist. He led by the hand a lady of wonderful beauty, dressed in white, with a girdle of silver and a crown of pearls, but her face was pale and sad as death itself. The prince knew her in an instant and moved eagerly forward, but the wizard gave him no time to speak and said, "'I know why you are here.' "'Very good. You may have her, if for three nights following you can prevent her making her escape. If you fail in this, you and your servants will all be turned into stone, like those who have come before you.' And offering the princess a chair, he left the hall. The prince could not take his eyes from the princess. She was so lovely. He began to talk to her, but she neither answered nor smiled, and sat as if she were made of marble. 
He seated himself by her and determined not to close his eyes that night for fear she should escape him, and in order that she should be doubly guarded, Long stretched himself like a strap all round the room, Broad took his stand by the door and puffed himself out so that not even a mouse could slip by, and Quick-Eye leant against a pillar which stood in the middle of the floor and supported the roof. But in half a second they were all sound asleep, and they slept sound the whole night long. In the morning, at the first peep of dawn, the prince awoke with a start. But the princess was gone. He aroused his servants and implored them to tell him what he must do. "'Calm yourself, my lord,' said Quick-Eye. "'I have found her already. "'A hundred miles from here there is a forest, "'in the middle of the forest an old oak, "'and on top of the oak an acorn. "'This acorn is the princess. "'If Long will take me on his shoulders, "'we shall bring her back.' "'And sure enough, in less time than it takes "'to walk round a cottage, "'they had returned from the forest, "'and Long presented the acorn to the prince. "'Now, your excellency, throw it on the ground.' The prince obeyed, and was enchanted to see the princess appear at his side. But when the sun peeped for the first time over the mountains, the door burst open as before, and the wizard entered with a loud laugh. Suddenly he caught sight of the princess. His face darkened. He uttered a low growl, and one of the iron circlets gave way with a crash. He seized the young girl by the hand and bore her away with him. All that day the prince wandered about the castle, studying the curious treasures it contained, but everything looked as if life had suddenly come to a standstill. In one place he saw a prince who had been turned into stone in the act of brandishing a sword round which his two hands were clasped. In another the same doom had fallen upon a knight in the act of running away. In a third, a serving-man was standing eternally trying to convey a piece of beef to his mouth, and all around them were others, still preserving forevermore the attitudes they were in when the wizard had commanded, from henceforth to be turned into marble. In the castle and round the castle, all was dismal and desolate. Trees there were but without leaves. Fields there were but no grass grew on them. There was one river— but it never flowed, and no fish lived in it. No flowers blossomed, and no birds sang. Three times during the day food appeared, as if by magic, for the prince and his servants, and it was not until supper was ended that the wizard appeared, as on the previous evening, and delivered the princess into the care of the prince. All four determined that this time they would keep awake at any cost, but it was no use— off they went as they had done before, and when the prince awoke the next morning, the room was again empty. With a pang of shame, he rushed to find Quick-Eye. Awake! Awake, Quick-Eye! Do you know what has become of the princess? Quick-Eye rubbed his eyes and answered, Yes, I see her. Two hundred miles from here there is a mountain. In this mountain is a rock. In the rock a precious stone. This stone is the princess." "'Long shall take me there, and we will be back before you can turn round.' "'So Long took him on his shoulders, and they set out. "'At every stride they covered twenty miles, "'and as they drew near, Quick-Eye fixed his burning eyes on the mountain. "'In an instant it split into a thousand pieces, "'and in one of these sparkled the precious stone. "'They picked it up and brought it to the prince, "'who flung it hastily down, "'and as the stone touched the floor, "'the princess stood before him.' When the wizard came, his eyes shot forth flames of fury. 
crick-crack was heard, and another of his iron bands broke and fell. He seized the princess by the hand and led her off, growling louder than ever. All that day things went on exactly as they had done the day before. After supper, the wizard brought back the princess, and looking him straight in the eyes, he said, "'We shall see which of us two will gain the prize after all.' That night they struggled their very hardest to keep awake, and even walked about instead of sitting down. But it was quite useless. One after another they had to give in, and for the third time the princess slipped through their fingers.' When morning came, it was as usual the prince who awoke the first, and as usual the princess being gone, he rushed to Quick-Eye. "'Get up! Get up, Quick-Eye, and tell me where is the princess?' Quick-Eye looked about for some time without answering. "'Oh, my lord, she is far, very far. Three hundred miles away there lies a black sea. In the middle of this sea there is a little shell, and in the middle of the shell is fixed a gold ring.' That gold ring is the princess. But do not vex your soul. We will get her. Only today Long must take Broad with him. He will be wanted badly. So Long took Quick-Eye on one shoulder and Broad on the other, and they set out. At each stride they left thirty miles behind them. When they reached the Black Sea, Quick-Eye showed them the spot where they must seek the shell. But though Long stretched down his hand as far as it would go, he could not find the shell, for it lay at the bottom of the sea. "'Wait a moment, comrades. It will be all right. I will help you,' said Broad. Then he swelled himself out, so that you would have thought the world could hardly have held him, and stooping down he drank. He drank so much at every mouthful that only a minute or so passed before the water had sunk enough for Long to put his hand to the bottom. He soon found the shell and pulled the ring out, but time had been lost, and Long had a double burden to carry. The dawn was breaking fast before they got back to the castle, where the prince was waiting for them in an agony of fear. Soon the first rays of the sun were seen peeping over the tops of the mountains. The door burst open, and finding the prince standing alone, the wizard broke into peals of wicked laughter. But as he laughed, a loud crash was heard. The window fell into a thousand pieces, a gold ring glittered in the air, and the princess stood before the enchanter. For Quick-Eye, who was watching from afar, had told Long of the terrible danger now threatening the prince, and Long, summoning all his strength for one gigantic effort, had thrown the ring right through the window. The wizard shrieked and howled with rage till the whole castle trembled to its foundations. Then a crash was heard. The third band split in two, and a crow flew out of the window. Then the princess at length broke the enchanted silence, and, blushing like a rose, gave the prince her thanks for her unlooked-for deliverance. But it was not only the princess who was restored to life by the flight of the wicked black crow. The marble figures became men once more, and took up their occupations just as they had left them off. The horses neighed in the stables, the flowers blossomed in the garden, the birds flew in the air, the fish darted in the water. Everywhere you looked, all was life, all was joy. And the knights who had been turned into stone came in a body to offer their homage to the prince who had set them free. "'Do not thank me,' he said, "'for I have done nothing. Without my faithful servants, long, broad, and quick-eye, I should even have been as one of you.' 
With these words he bade them farewell, and departed with the princess and his faithful companions for the kingdom of his father. The old king, who had long since given up all hope, wept for joy at the sight of his son, and insisted that the wedding should take place as soon as possible. All the knights who had been enchanted in the iron castle were invited to the ceremony, and after it had taken place, Long, Broad, and Quick-Eye took leave of the young couple, saying that they were going to look for more work. The prince offered them all their hearts could desire if they would only remain with him, but they replied that an idle life would not please them, and that they could never be happy unless they were busy. So they went away to seek their fortunes, and for all I know are seeking still. The End Read by Lorraine Montgomery for Lit to Go on the Web at fcit.usf.edu